Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The president says his rhetoric brings people together, but he's not talking about the people protesting in El Paso and Dayton. The lead starts right now. President Trump arriving in El Paso, Texas, as protesters there say his visit brings hollow and his critics charge that his rhetoric has helped fuel the violence. What's he going to say when he arrives? Plus, exclusive reporting today on how the White House snubbed its own administration officials who thought combating white supremacy should be a higher terrorism priority. Plus, President Trump being accused of weaponizing hate by one of his potential 2020 Democratic opponents who calls for tighter gun restrictions at the site of another rampage. I want to thank (laughs) This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper, and we begin with breaking news. In just minutes, we expect President Trump to arrive in El Paso, Texas. He will make his second visit today to an American community devastated after two men committed horrific acts of carnage and violence, murdering 31 people in two mass shootings just 13 hours apart. Earlier today, President Trump was in Dayton, Ohio, where he visited a hospital that treated multiple victims from that shooting where nine people were killed. Protesters greeted the president there in Dayton, and more protesters are awaiting the president's arrival in El Paso, where the accused domestic terrorist there, who killed 22 people, echoed some of the language used by the president when talking about Latino immigrants, particularly the notion that migrants and refugees coming here constitute an invasion. Our team of reporters is spread out across the city of El Paso covering this story from all angles. We're going to start with CNN's Boris Sanchez. And and Boris, the president is still in the air right now after visiting those victims in Dayton, but that's not stopping him from tweeting. Yeah, that's right, Jake. The president uh, taking aim at some political rivals, uh, apparently as focused on them as he is on offering condolences to victims in Dayton and El Paso. As he was in Air Force One, the president tweeted at Joe Biden, who was giving a speech denouncing racism and white supremacy and asking the president to tone down his rhetoric. Here's what he wrote about Joe Biden. President Trump writing, quote, watching sleepy Joe Biden making a speech so boring, the lamestream media will die in the ratings and clicks with this guy. The president then goes on to suggest that if uh, Joe Biden is elected president in 2020, at least China will be happy. The president notably not tweeting about gun control legislation, something that leaders in Ohio suggested the president should pursue. President Donald Trump today visiting the two cities ravaged by gun violence this week. First stop, Dayton, where he went directly to a hospital still treating some of the victims. Welcoming him there, protesters lining the streets and demanding action on gun control. While inside, Trump met with first responders, law enforcement, and victims. Local leaders who briefly spoke with Trump on the tarmac later talked about pushing the president to act. I think he heard me. Uh, I don't know if he will take action. Do I think that we're going to see another mass shooting tomorrow or Friday? Probably, because Washington will not move. Before departing the White House, Trump endorsed an idea to prevent mass shootings he's wavered on before, universal background checks. There's a great appetite, and I mean a very strong appetite, for background checks. I think both Republican and Democrat 
are getting close to a bill on to doing something on background checks. One of those Republicans, Pennsylvania Senator Pat Toomey, who just reintroduced a bipartisan bill that includes background checks. He told Jake yesterday he's talked several times with Trump this week about it. Did the president say that if your legislation passes the Senate that he'll sign it? Um, no, he didn't say that, and I didn't ask him that. I think he's still um, asking questions about the substance and how we get there. Similarly, in February, when the House passed a bill expanding background checks. Common sense background check legislation. The White House vowed to veto it. And again last year, after a massacre at a high school in Parkland, Florida, Trump expressing support for background checks. Background checks are going to be very strong only to change his mind after meeting with leaders of the National Rifle Association. This time around, sources tell CNN the White House has been in conversation with top NRA officials this week after Dayton and El Paso, though it's unclear if the president has spoken to them himself. And Jake, as the president was leaving the White House, he was again asked about his rhetoric. He says he believes that his rhetoric actually unites people, and he suggested that those who were criticizing him over using language that's very similar to that of white supremacists, he said they were just trying to score political points. Interestingly, I've spoken to several people here in El Paso who do not believe the president will be effective in trying to console anyone here. They suggested he's coming here to perform a photo op for political points. Jake. Boris Sanchez in El Paso, thanks so much. I want to go now to CNN's Nick Valencia, who is right next to the protests. And, and Nick, you've, you've been on the ground in El Paso for nearly seven weeks now, covering the border uh, situation and, and now covering this tragedy. How are the people of El Paso doing? They're hurt. They're angry. They're sad. They don't want us to lose sight, Jake, that this was what they call a blatantly racist attack, an attack on people simply because of their ethnicity, the color of their skin, their last name, who their family members are. They don't want us to lose sight of that. And they also say President Trump and the rhetoric that he's used against the Latino community in this country for the last two years from the offense of the president, it has contributed to this. And it contributed, they say, to what happened here over the weekend. It was earlier that I spoke to four lifelong El Pasoans, people who have called this home since the day they were born. I asked them directly, do they want President Trump to visit here today? This is what they told me. I think that this community is hurting. I don't think he's done anything to help that. Jim? I don't. No. Superintendent? I mean, I, I don't know how he's going to help. It's, it's not the right time. They say while President Trump did not create fear, did not create hate or racism, that he has used it to divide this country and he bears some responsibility for what happened here over the weekend. I want to be clear, Jake, none of the El Pasoans who I've spoke to over the course of the last several weeks, as well as today, were excited about the president coming here. We did read a report earlier from a family member of one of those victims who said that they want President Trump to come here just to be able to look in his eyes and to see if he's genuine or not. Jake. All right, Nick Valencia in... Uh El Paso, thank you so much. Uh, I want to talk uh, with our experts here, and I want to start with the president just now tweeting, saying, quote, uh, just left Dayton, Ohio. It was a warm and wonderful visit. Then I saw failed presidential candidate, 0%, Sherrod Brown. He never actually ran for president. And Mayor Whaley of Dayton, totally misrepresenting what took place inside of the hospital. Their news conference after I left for El Paso was a fraud. It bore no resemblance to what took place with those incredible people that I was so lucky to meet and spend time with. They were all amazing, unquote. White House Press Secretary Stephanie Grisham had earlier today accused 
Senator Brown and Mayor Whaley of not acknowledging that the victims were happy to have the president visit, even though actually Senator Brown said the president was well received at the hospital. Take a listen. He was comforting and he did the right things and Melania did the right things. And um, it's his job in part to comfort people. Uh, I'm glad he did it in that those those um, hospital rooms. The people at the hospital were terrific, and people showed when the president of the United States came, they showed respect for the office. And a number of them said to me, they're not great admirers of him privately, but they clearly showed respect for the office because the president of the United States is in town. Um, do you have any idea what the president's talking about? I mean, I didn't see the press conference in full, based on the transcript that I saw. I can take a guess, and yeah. a couple of things is that. Uh, Brown said that privately some people were not happy with the president, and they said that to him. Oh, Brown, privately people had said that. Correct. Yeah. I mean, okay. I'm just quoting him. And then yeah. Brown also said that, uh, I, I think in another portion of the press conference, uh, talked about the president's rhetoric as racist and divisive. And I suspect that's what the president is reacting to. Um, I, I think that that doesn't really matter. It doesn't sound as if Brown misrepresented anything, which is what the White House is accusing them of. And Dan Scavino, the White House social media director, released a, a tweet saying that the president was greeted like, like a rock star, quote unquote, by the people at the hospitals. It's just not about the president. Um, there was a, a total absence of leadership at the federal level publicly this weekend uh, after these shootings. And it was really striking, and it was really striking, especially in comparison to how we have generally seen presidents behave at moments of a national crisis, which this was. And to turn this yet again into something about Donald Trump as opposed to the victims he was there to see is in keeping with a the theme, but it's going to upset a number of people. Okay, so apparently Sherrod Brown, Senator Brown, did say that some people privately had expressed misgivings about the president being there and had criticized the president. I'm just guessing that that's what that's about. But, that's what he just said. Right. That, I mean, that's the only thing that makes only any thing sense. That. But Sherrod Brown also did say that the president was comforting. He did the right things. Melania did the right things. I'm glad he did it. So it wasn't like some assault on the president. And here you have the president on his way from one grief-stricken town to another attacking Sherrod Brown in a tweet. It, exactly. And he's also attacking Joe Biden in tweets with, with the former vice president um, giving a pretty critical speech of the president and the president's rhetoric earlier today, just about an hour or so ago. So this is what we've seen constantly time and time again with how the president behaves on Twitter, on social media and what he does in public. My colleagues described it kind of very aptly earlier this week when it said it was teleprompter Trump versus Twitter Trump. And you're seeing that dichotomy throughout the day. You had very critical comments towards uh, overnight towards Beto O'Rourke, who has been this channeling so much of the grief in his hometown of El Paso, where, where the president is supposed to land shortly, and attacking the for, attacking Beto O'Rourke for um, for the criticisms that he's had. But yet, um, as far as we've seen, and again, a lot of the press that's traveling with him is not getting a lot of access to him. But so this is a kind of second hand here, but he is in public seeming to do the things that a president should do. It's just this two very different personalities and tones that we're seeing from the president throughout the day. My gosh, uh, the grotesque things that have been said about the president by the presidential candidates, uh, Joe Biden included, Beto O'Rourke calling him a white nationalist, attributing all this violence to the president, in some cases linking it to him personally. Somehow it's okay. It seems that Democrats can take these spot shots, including Senator Brown, who said initially he wasn't going to meet with the president. Uh, and frankly, that even that body language that you just ran on the clip here uh, wasn't uh, just this while well, the president was comforting and so forth. It was qualifications to it. So I think there is a double standard here. Uh, the president, who I think has set the right tone, and I disagree, I think the president's statement was quite eloquent. And on Monday. On Monday, mm -hmm. quite moving and similar to what other presidents have said and also visiting 
Dayton and, and El Paso is consistent with what other presidents have done. Had he not done that, I would have been curious to see what the media reaction would have been. But most importantly is you have a situation where people can attack the president and the expectation is the president will not defend himself or be able to respond to their attacks. I think the right tone has been set by Mayor Margo of El Paso, who has repeatedly, despite mm. requests by the, the media to comment on this from a political standpoint, has said this is about grieving and healing. And I think the president of the United States has done his level best to do so. So one other thing, Jamal, I want to get your reaction to this. One of the reasons we're hearing from people in El Paso who are who are have misgivings about President Trump coming. And I agree with your notion, like if he didn't come, he'd get he'd, he'd get yes, for that, too. But one of the reasons is in February when he went to El Paso, he was very critical and really raised the specter of this, quote unquote, invasion. Uh, take a listen to a, a brief snippet of that. We are cutting loose dangerous criminals into our country. Murders, 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 killings, murders. So that is something that is very much on the minds of citizens of El Paso. Many of them are telling our reporters. Yeah, Jake, you know, I, I, I'm sitting here in this conversation and I'm being tugged in my head in two different directions, right? One part of me uh, feels the solemnity of this moment and these families that are going through this incredibly grave experience. I can't even imagine what it must feel like for them. Um, but then you have this president who is doing uh, these, he, he acts like a, just such an infant, <laughs> like such a toddler. And like, to quote Cory Booker a little bit, uh, standing up against white supremacy should be the floor. It shouldn't be the ceiling. That's not our aspiration for the president. That's, we've sort of wrestled through these big questions about where America stands on who gets to participate in white supremacy like 40, 50 years ago. And now here we are again having to deal with this. And just remember, this is the same White House and president when they make these claims that said that the inauguration was the largest event, inauguration ever. And we had pictures that showed us it wasn't true. When we had a press secretary who said she heard from many FBI agents about a policy and then had to admit under oath that she just made that up when she was standing there. So it's just hard to take anything that they say seriously. All right, everyone stick around. We have a lot more to talk about. President Trump is due to land in El Paso, Texas at any moment. El Paso, of course, is the site of where at least 22 people were killed in that racist mass shooting. We still don't know uh, where the president's going to go, where, what he's going to visit while he's there. Plus, we have some breaking news about one instance of the White House resisting making domestic terror threats like white supremacists, a higher priority. That exclusive reporting coming next. Stay with us. One of those moments that either destroys your faith in humanity or restores your faith in humanity. El Paso chooses to restore our faith in humanity, in one another and in this country. That was 2020 presidential candidate Democrat Beto O'Rourke, the former congressman from El Paso. He just finished speaking at that protest in El Paso, Texas, just moments ago, talking about the strength of his community as we wait for President Trump to land in the city uh, and presumably meet with survivors of the carnage from over the weekend. We have some more breaking news now, a CNN exclusive revealing an inside look at the Trump administration and its commitment to combating white supremacy and struggles about that. Multiple current and former senior Trump administration officials and others close to the administration tell me that for more than a year, White House officials rebuffed their colleagues at the Department of Homeland Security who are trying to include domestic terror threats, such as those from white supremacists, as a greater priority, one specifically spelled out in the national counterterrorism strategy that was issued last November. A senior source telling me, quote, 
Homeland Security officials battled the White House for more than a year to get them to focus more on domestic terrorism. The White House wanted to focus only on the jihadist threat, which, while serious, ignored the reality that racial supremacist violence was rising fast here at home. They had major ideological blinders on, unquote. The National Counterterrorism Strategy, which I said was issued last fall, and as a source involved in the discussions, put it to me, quote, ultimately the White House just added one paragraph about domestic terrorism as a throwaway line. It makes no mention specifically of white, white supremacists. A current senior Trump administration official told me that when it comes to combating the threat of domestic terrorism, Homeland Security is, quote, behind the curve because of lack of support from the White House. Recall back in March, President Trump was asked directly about the threat of white supremacy and white nationalism after 51 innocent Muslims were murdered in that deadly mosque attack in New Zealand. You see today white nationalism as a rising threat around the world. I don't really. I think it's a uh, small group of people that have very, very serious problems. Now, why the White House pushed back so much against people at the Department of Homeland Security is a matter of some debate. A former senior administration official noted that except when he seems to be forced to do so, as happened Monday when the president condemned white supremacy, President Trump generally seems to be reluctant to do so. The senior source telling me that overlaying the entire debate, the back and forth between the White House and DHS, was the belief among White House officials that criticizing white supremacist domestic terrorists would be an issue potentially for the president. Quote, you know it will trigger the boss. Just minutes ago, a senior administration official told me, quote, this administration's national strategy for counterterrorism was the first to ever include domestic terrorism. This issue continues to be a priority for this administration, and the National Security Council has launched an interagency process focused on combating domestic terrorism in support of the president's counterterrorism strategy. So that's, that's a lot going on there, but, but let's talk about this. Because, Maggie, what we have here is a lot of people who are familiar with this process or involved in this process saying, we just couldn't get them to put it in the document. They just didn't want to. And one of the reasons was the concern that this would alarm and upset President Trump. Another theory was that, especially when it came to not President Trump, but people underneath President Trump, they thought that the Obama White House was uh, so sensitive and politically correct about not mentioning Islamic terrorism that there was almost an overcorrection to only talk about Islamic terrorism. That was another theory. Um, but what's your reaction? I mean, among the many the many issues is that we there's no one who can actually set, who, who is willing to say clearly why this is happening, right? So all we are left is with is theorizing. It is is plain from his own language that the president has not treated uh, domestic terrorism and white nationalists and white supremacists as a similar threat um, to uh, you know other terror groups that he ran against in 2016. He spent most of 2016 talking about how people who would not say uh, radical Islamic terrorism were cowards, and he made this a centerpiece of his campaign. It clearly hasn't been a, a priority. It has been a priority increasingly for law enforcement, yeah. federal law enforcement within the administration. You have seen this dichotomy between what the president says and, again, to your point, what they are prioritizing within the White House uh, and, and what the other arms of government are doing. But as to why, I mean, I, I'm, I'm loath to speculate, frankly. I think it would really be nice if we had a briefing or a press conference or really almost anything where this question could be asked. Uh, and Here's the thing, Jake. Yeah. The thing is, is anybody here surprised that the president resisted this, that the White House resisted this? I would be more surprised if you had a story that said Donald Trump had a meeting and when this came up, he said, you know what, 
Those rats, they are infesting the country. I want you to go get those white supremacists. We're going to send the military and the Border Patrol and whatever we have to do to go get them. But that's not what he says when it comes to white supremacists, white nationalists. That's what he says when it comes to Mexican, Mexicans and, and migrants and people who are here seeking asylum. That's when he goes after humans who are just trying to get a better life, not the people who are trying to restrict Americans from having a better And the FBI life. director, Christopher Wray, just testified, and right. he was appointed by President Trump, uh, that domestic terrorism, the, the number of arrests, is about the same uh, as international terrorism, and most of those are white supremacists. Well, yes, but I think the president has been very clear, even before these incidents happened, that he, the all types of terrorism, and I think it's an oversimplification, as his point is to say it's white supremacists or, or to have some political line that uh, satisfies uh, a segment of the society. He's talking about all terrorism. He, he, re, he made references to uh, Antifa, for example, uh, trying to have that designated as, as a terrorist organization. Uh, so the president, I think his statement was clear. I think the administration's position is that domestic terrorism of any kind uh, should be uh, absolutely uh, not only eradicated but but fought. I I do think though, the last twenty years we have been focused on jihadists and our our concern whether it's been Democrats or Republicans has always been the foreign threat. I, for example, before these terrible incidents, mm-hmm. I didn't see a lot of talk about. Uh, domestic terrorism of the democratic debate, or for that matter, even the gun issue didn't come even come up in one of the debates. So uh, the, 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 these incidents happen. Uh, they're they're hopefully a catalyst for good out of something terrible. So that's on us, not the Democratic candidates, I should say. We're the one that's, ones that ask the questions. Uh, President Trump just landed in El Paso, Texas. We're going to have more uh, from El Paso next. Stay with us. And we're back with our national lead. President Trump just landed in El Paso, Texas, moments ago after stopping and visiting first in Dayton, Ohio, in the aftermath of two mass shootings in those cities. I'm joined now by Ohio Governor Mike DeWine. He's a Republican who was with President Trump today during his visit to Dayton. Uh, Governor DeWine, uh, thanks so much for joining us. What did you have to say to President Trump when you were uh, with him earlier? We know this trip was really focused on on the victims. And my wife, Fran, and I went with with the president and the first lady. And, um, you know, he was spent a lot of time with the victims, went from room to room at the hospital, uh, also wanted to meet the first responders and also wanted to really thank um, the hospital employees, the people who had worked in the emergency room that night at early morning. So it was really a, 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 a trip focused on on those people. Did you talk at all with him about uh, potential ways through legislation to try to curtail uh, these alarming uh, mass shootings in this country? Well, we we talked mostly about he wanted to know what I had proposed yesterday, and I I explained to him some of the things that we wanted to do and we, we believe that we can do in Ohio. I mean, we talked about the fact that you know, we do have a huge mental health crisis among young people today. Uh, and so we've the budget that we have that the General Assembly has approved puts a lot of significant money into our schools to help identify kids who are having problems and trying to get them help as, as early as we can. We also talked about um, the problem when we have when there are people in communities who either have a mental health problem or an addiction problem or alcohol problem, and they're dangerous to themselves, dangerous to others, and they have guns. And, uh, you know, I told him what we were planning on doing in Ohio, and uh, you know, that we thought that this was 
constitutional. We felt it respected the Second Amendment because it has due process, but also that it's going to make a, make a difference. Yeah, the proposals that you outlined uh, yesterday include um, uh, mandatory background checks and also uh, safety protection orders, which could uh, mean the removal of guns from potentially dangerous individuals. But uh, your proposals do not uh, mention uh, uh, banning or restricting any specific uh, firearms. I, I want to ask you, the shooter in Dayton was able to fire 41 rounds in 30 seconds. He had a double drum magazine. I know you've seen it. Capable of firing 100 rounds. Thank God for the, the Dayton police that stopped him. But they, why, did, they but, did a phenomenal job. But why is that gun with those that capacity for ammunition, why is that something that anyone in Ohio should be able to buy? Look, this is something that's going to have to be dealt with on the national level. When I was in, in Congress, um, you know, we, we had different votes on that. But this is something that's going to have to be dealt with nationally. Um, you know, to try to do it in the state, uh, I don't think makes a whole lot of sense, frankly. What I am presenting are things that I know we can get done. I believe that we can get the, the legislature to pass and that we can make a difference um, as quickly as we can get these things passed. Your fellow Ohio Republican, Congressman Mike Turner, who represents the Dayton area and his daughter was across the street. Thank God she's OK. Uh, he has he has changed his mind and said he is open to trying to ban uh, some of the semi-automatic uh, guns that can shoot lots of uh, bullets in a short amount of time. Is your mind opening at all on that subject? Look, I think this is something that is going to be part of the national debate. It's already part of the national debate. Uh, Congress is going to have to look at a number of, of different things. Yeah, but what do you think? Um, Look, I, I think you could uh, do that. Um, again, if, we, if the votes are there in Congress, Congress certainly could do that. Again, you have to pass something, though, that does, it is in fact constitutional. And that's when we get back to what, you know, some people call this red flag law. We, we prefer a different name. You know, we were very careful to work that out. So in fact, that it is constitutional, that constitutional rights are protected. So again, that's going to be the question that Congress has to face is how do you do this and still protect people's people's rights um, to have guns and, and to own guns and to use guns? Ohio Governor Mike DeWine, thank you for your time, sir. We appreciate it. Thank you. President Trump just landed in El Paso, Texas. We're going to talk to one member of Congress who turned down a meeting with the president there. Stay with us. our national lead president trump now landing in el paso texas you see air force one there on the tarmac joining me now to talk about the president's visit democratic congresswoman veronica escobar she represents el paso and turned down a meeting uh, with the president there uh, congresswoman thanks for joining us on on such a horrible week um you said you would only meet with the president if you could talk to him about his rhetoric beforehand the white house turned you down um but I wonder, by not being part of the delegation, by not meeting with him, did you miss a chance to talk to him about his rhetoric? Here's the, the was the challenge that I faced, Jake. If I didn't have an opportunity to really have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with him in advance, and if I had been part of the motorcade, I don't know that I would have been in the car with him to speak. And then once he went to the hospital, if that's where he went, I don't know what his schedule was, um, then it's, it's, there, it's, there's just, there's just there's no opportunity. 
And that's why I felt when we got the invitation, and, and I appreciate that, that they reached out to us to invite us to be part of the motorcade, I thought this is an opportunity, this could be a possible opening to really use this moment, this moment of pain and this moment of severe suffering, to use it as a, a moment of opportunity for the whole country and for this community, an opportunity to heal. But in order to heal, there really needs to be an acknowledgement of the words and the power of the words and the hate and the racism in the words that he's used to describe my community and Hispanics and immigrants. And if we can't have that dialogue, I, my feeling was I refuse to be a prop. I'm not going to stand next to him as he pretends to care about what's happening in this community. I hope he truly does care, but these are really difficult and important conversations that need to be had. They can't be had in moments of passing. Um, we're, we're looking right now at the uh, pictures uh, of the president and First Lady Melania Trump. They're meeting with Governor Abbott, Senators Cornyn and Cruz. Uh, the mayor of El Paso, uh, Mayor Margo, is there as well. Now, the mayor of El Paso says he's meeting with the president because uh, he says this visit should not be about politics. Uh, what's your response to that? Humanity should not be about politics either. Respecting the dignity and the grace of every human being should not be a Republican or a Democratic value. It should be a human value, right? And, and the words that the president has used have dehumanized us, Jake. That's why a terrorist can walk into a, a shopping center and gun down people in such cold blood because he doesn't see us as human. The words that the president has used also dehumanized us. We should, there should be no division on this issue. There should be only unity in calling for accountability on those words, the power of those words, the damage done by those words, and calling on the president to say every human being, regardless of the color of your skin, regardless of who you love, who you are, or regardless of whether you were born on this side of that river or the other side of that river, every human being deserves dignity and respect. That shouldn't be a partisan issue. I remember President George W. Bush saying family values don't stop at the Rio Grande River. Let me ask you, uh, Congresswoman, if you could, whether you're speaking on behalf of yourself or your constituents, I've heard from a number uh, of Latino and Latina friends who are scared, who are afraid in their own country who have never felt more afraid. And I'm wondering if you could speak to that. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Be proud of who you are. Be proud of what you rep represent. But this is, this is why it's so important, Jake, for the president to do this. He can have a country that is living in fear, living in division, divided by hate, divided by racism, or he can rise to the occasion of embracing every human being with the dignity that we all deserve, the dignity and the grace. It's up to him, really. And we're going to see in the days ahead whether the person reading the lines from the teleprompter is the same person as the person on Twitter and the same person on rallies. This community is resilient and strong and beautiful. And we are united in love. And we are, we are determined, determined to make sure that every person is treated with that dignity that they deserve. Democratic Congresswoman Veronica Escobar of the beautiful city 
of El Paso and the surrounding area. Uh, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. We know it's been a really awful week. And we have to do it now, and we must you, do Jake. it together. As President Trump arrives in El Paso, some of the Democrats hoping to challenge him in 2020 are, well, unleashing. That's next. In our 2020 lead now, in the aftermath of two horrific attacks, two Democratic presidential candidates unleashed today some of their most aggressive criticisms to date of President Trump on the matter of race. New Jersey Senator Cory Booker accused the president of weaponizing hate for political gain. As former Vice President Joe Biden claims, President Trump has fanned the flames of white supremacy. CNN's Jessica Dean picks up our coverage now from the campaign trail. Our president has aligned himself with the darkest forces in this nation. In his strongest rebuke of President Trump yet, former Vice President Joe Biden told a crowd in Iowa today, Trump has fanned the flames of white supremacy in America and lacks the leadership of presidents before him. George H.W. Bush renouncing his membership in the NRA. President Clinton, after Oklahoma City. George W. Bush, going to a mosque after 9-11. President Obama, after Charleston. Biden also laying out what he would do as president on gun control and reminding people of his support for the Brady Bill in 1993, which mandated background checks, and his work to pass the assault weapons ban in the 1994 crime bill. As the guy along with Senator Dianne Feinstein got the assault weapons ban and the high-capacity magazines banned in this country for 10 years, the elected president, we will do it again. We will do it again. In another early voting state, South Carolina, Senator Cory Booker today with a similar message. Hate crimes in America are increasing. Railing against the rise of white supremacy from the pulpit at Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, the place where an avowed white supremacist shot and killed nine African Americans during a Bible study in 2015. Generations of politicians have used fear of the other for political gain, and that is certainly the case today. Booker said America is at a crossroads and must decide if it will act to protect against mass shootings and crimes fueled by hate. We must require federal licensing for guns in America, and we've got to go further. We must require that the Department of Justice, Homeland Security, and the FBI conduct assessments of the domestic terrorist threats that are posed by white supremacists. Back here in Iowa, when asked to respond to President Trump's tweet criticizing him, Joe Biden looked directly at the cameras and Jake, he simply said he should get a life. All right, Jessica Dean in Iowa, thank you so much. Uh, let's chew over all of this uh, with our panel. Uh, Sungman, let me start with you. The, there are a lot of gun restriction proposals being put out there by uh, Democrats and some Republicans as well. Um, do any of them, you think, have a chance of getting through the Senate? I assume most of them can get through the Democratic-controlled House. But what about the Republican-controlled Senate? It is so difficult right now. I mean, was, we're, what we're discussing right now in the Republican Senate are what we call these so-called red flag laws, where you can have a law enforcement official or a family member basically petition a judge to try to get uh, we- weapons out of someone who could harm themselves or others. But I've started to hear some grumbling a little bit about that effort, because anything that is seen as restricting access to guns is going to run into concern from conservatives on Capitol 
Capitol Hill. Mm. So I think that is uh, what people like Senator Lindsey Graham, Rick, uh, Richard Blumenthal, uh, Marco Rubio, what they're proposing is kind of the most anodyne of versions of these red flag laws you could get because it only really incentivizes states to create their own red flag laws. But I wouldn't expect that to be easy anytime soon. And what you're t listening to, what a lot of these Democratic candidates talk about are very expansive measures, such as an assault weapons ban. Um, and that is something that has not even been on Congress's uh, made agenda since 2004 when the federal assault weapons ban expired. Uh, you've heard a lot of Democratic candidates talk about using executive action on gun violence. Kamala or, Harris. Kamala Harris is that, uh, yeah. the most prominent one doing that, but you can almost guarantee it'll be challenged in the court. Let's turn to the other angle of this, uh, obviously, which is uh, the president's rhetoric and the notion of uh, this rising threat of white supremacists. Um, Joe Biden said today President Trump has, quote, fanned the flames of white supremacy uh, in this nation. Um, not quite as far as Beto O'Rourke, who said that he thinks President Trump is a white supremacist. Uh, uh, yes, Beto has said that uh, Biden, he's doing a very good job on this today. I thought that he read a very good speech and he really gave a full-throated uh, critique of this, which is something, it's necessary but it's not sufficient in the Democratic primary, right? So every, people want to hear this. They want to know that this is where candidates stand. And then candidates will go out and talk about what they want to do as president that would be different. It's just interesting you mentioned the red flag laws. One thing that's very interesting to me is people are for the red flag laws, like Mike DeWine proposed it in Ohio. But then other people are against background checks. So you get on a list, you get your guns taken away from you, you get on a red flag list, but you're, you're nobody can check the list to find out whether or not they can sell you a gun. It's, it's amazing to me. Now, you said that you thought Beto O'Rourke was exploiting this yes. issue by calling the president a white supremacist. Uh, I, absolutely, I absolutely do. I think this is a grotesque statement. I think Joe Biden knows better, and that's why he's been far more careful. I actually think this is political exploitation of a tragedy uh, by the Democrats. I think the president has been extraordinarily disciplined. I do think when this... Disciplined, abates, on uh, disciplined in keeping the focus on healing the country, mm -hmm. his statement. Since my... Uh, well, since these incidents happened and he spoke to okay. them and, and made these visits, which are completely appropriate and the right thing to do. I think this will be seen as overreaching by the American people um, in, in short order. Uh, these attacks on the president and this exaggeration that somehow his passion for policy issues regarding illegal immigration constitute racism or white supremacy. He is not a white supremacist. He denounced it. Um, it's very clear that the president is committed to a point of view that Democrats are now trying desperately to turn into a race issue. And I think that is extraordinarily un un unfortunate. So, Maggie, I don't know if it will be seen as overreach or not. The last poll I saw said, uh, indicated that 51 percent of the American people actually think President Trump is a racist. Uh, right. So I don't I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe it will be seen as overreach. But uh, I don't know that these Democrats are insincere. I mean, maybe they are, but but I think a lot of them actually believe that the president's a white supremacist. I think a number of them believe uh, what they are saying. I don't think that this is strictly political theater um, for, for many, if any of them. Um, I think Joe Biden is running a different kind of campaign, and I think to Jamal's point, mm -hmm. we'll see if it works in a Democratic primary in this moment in time, which is he is making a bet that the general electorate, uh, general election electorate is going to be more concerned about making that explicit a statement. Um, we're going to find out. All right. Thanks, everyone. Uh, coming up, one 2020 presidential candidate who has changed his position on gun legislation. Stay with us. We're back right now. President Trump and the First Lady are arriving at University Medical Center in El Paso, where he is expected to meet with some of the victims of the horrific racist El Paso shooting. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Thanks for watching.
When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.